0: You're listening to the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey, a leading multi-platform audio content and entertainment company. Listen on the Odyssey app.
1: For the ANA Champions of Growth podcast, I'm Matthew Schwartz. In a relatively short period... Generative artificial intelligence has been tattooed on the collective brain of the marketing industry. Amid the onslaught, brand managers can be forgiven for thinking that generative AI can do most of the marketing grunt work while freeing up humans to think more creatively and spur innovation. Well, at least on paper. Peter Pradromo, founder and president of marketing and PR agency Boathouse, stresses that, as generative AI grows in leaps and bounds, marketers need to be careful not to let things swing too far in the direction of the science, in which the art will inevitably suffer. Romo, who works with such companies as Mass General Brigham, Project Liberty, and Eversource, predicts that within the next year or two, there will be a counterbalance away from prior use of data and analytics as the key measurement tools, and toward metrics like stellar writing, the ability to access top media, and the ability to strategize and deliver killer ad creative. Pradromo says that CMOs have built themselves a trap by becoming overly reliant on marketing data, rather than looking at the goals and objectives of the business and how to frame advertising and marketing campaigns in that context. He says that to make human connections with consumers in a post-digital age, brands will have to use generative AI more sparingly than they might initially anticipate. According to Prodromo, the content and the narrative are now the real crux of meaningful marketing, while the channel strategy should take care of itself and not suck up most of the oxygen and budget. Today, Prodromo and I dig a little deeper about where ad creative is headed in the age of AI, why brands should get a storytelling infusion, and why marketers need to get out into the field a lot more often and shed their long-held belief that marketing is best initiated from the inside out. Peter, thanks so much for joining me.
0: Happy to be here, Matthew.
1: Peter, you took charge as president of Boathouse a little more than a year ago. What are you bringing to the table in terms of marketing innovation and bolstering relationships with your clients so the agency is thought of as a partner and not a vendor?
0: The focus on what a great agency needs to do today is to be able to not only deliver a traditional service like great creative or the ability to get your clients in the media Um, and set agenda. What we really need to deliver is the science of interaction between key constituent groups and key influencers. One of the things that we're heavily focused on and that I've spent a lot of time getting behind is the use of artificial intelligence to understand how and where people engage the kinds of content that they want and the type of specificity that can be used in enhancing the investment that clients make in their campaigns by doing better targeting using AI.
1: What are you doing differently considering the agency client relationship is increasingly fraught these days with challenges, whether it's regarding payment terms or direction and ad creative, how are you trying to build a better mousetrap between the two sides?
0: The thing we focus a lot on is the science of data and how to use it to illustrate value, but we don't over-index on it. As an industry, one of the things that we've made a mistake on is forgetting about basics like tremendous creative actually does move people emotively. Over the next year or two, you're going to start to see a counterbalance away from pure use of data and analytics As the only measurement and people starting to respect, again, key things like fantastic writing, the ability to access top media and the ability to strategize and deliver fantastic creative.
1: So perhaps too many agencies have gone too far afield with the data and that's going to come back to more of the human element.
0: At the end of the day, our profession is really about human connection, and we can remember in great enduring campaigns, the analytics, although they're incredibly important, and I do believe in the notion of AI for better targeting, need to be used a little bit more sparingly because ultimately you want to be able to make that human connection.
1: So companies need to be a lot more discriminating when it comes to the data points they accept and use?
0: I'll give you an example. We're doing some work right now with a nonprofit that's focused on the implications of social media on children's mental health. We can look at all the data and it is stunning what has happened with respect to bullying and and depression and things of that nature. And we can also look at that level of data with respect to how and where we ought to be placing that message. But the thing that really resonates is the human story. I see mothers who have talked about the loss in their lives as a result of things that have occurred in social media. That's the kind of Powerful storytelling that's still it's a punch in the gut, and that's great marketing, and it's great, great results, and it's it's great creative.
1: Do you approach the role as president as one of the convergence of paid engagement and producing original content? How do you execute on the strategy, and what has that meant in terms of your clients pivoting their communication strategy to generate
0: more earned media? I've been a big believer the last decade or so in the fact that nobody cares where content comes from anymore. They just want it on the platform that they prefer and in the format that they prefer the content and the narrative become the crux of the marketing and the channel strategy then defines itself. And in the last two agencies, I've been one that I led before this. And now here, the focus has been very much on finding that convergence and choosing ultimately the channel afterward. It does a couple of things. First of all, it delivers more value. Second of all, it's much more effective. Third of all, it actually reflects the way the people that we're marketing to want to engage. So it's much more powerful. And finally, for an agency operator, it gives us access to a higher level in the executive suite. Because ultimately, the CEO is actually looking ultimately for business results. And the segmentation of marketing groups inside the organization is still fighting the old battle of who gets to keep budget and spend it specifically how they want to. If you can overlay that with a narrative structure and storytelling, it completely takes down those walls and the CEO very much responds to it.
1: Peter, you haven't been shy about wanting to challenge the status quo in marketing communications. Can you give us some tangible examples of how that's manifest on behalf of your clients and new marketing campaigns?
0: I very much like to talk to people about how the model is broken and how things like traditional brand are not a way to go to market anymore. Traditional brand worked really, really well for about 50, 60 years. But the truth of the matter is, we're completely challenging the status quo by saying there's probably seven or eight narratives that are occurring on any given day that are really shaping what an organization looks like in the marketplace. It can be social good, it can be about product. Partners, investors, the brand name itself, and your employees and your investors and all of these other key constituent groups are defining you in real time using social media. We have to completely turn the model upside down and focus on those conversations and shape highly adaptive campaigns that for some people might actually look undisciplined, but in fact, they're leading discussions that's allowing us to get out in front of the discussions that are shaping the agenda for our clients, which gives us more power. And there's all kinds of statistical and empirical data that illustrate that that is actually a real value. The economist Robert Schiller wrote a book back in 2018 where he used Google Ngrams to track conversations over the last 200 years from institutions ranging from the Catholic Church to Coke and Pepsi. And in every instance, what he found is organizations that were able to adapt quickly to changing narratives saw more value and less erosion of the brand and those that didn't saw themselves in decline.
1: Can you give us a tangible example of working with one of your clients on, in terms of getting ahead of their constituents, communicating more effectively with their audiences?
0: I'm working with a major real estate development company that's focused on really transforming a city. These are highly charged discussions because you have different companies that are bidding. You have different interest groups who want to make sure that they're represented in the right ways. And that is the ultimate example of constituency management, understanding at the neighborhood level, at the individual level, the impacts that major new developments are going to have on a region. The ability to not only talk to people hand to hand, but to be able to amplify a message across those community groups to assure them that you're hearing, that you're responsive. These are the things that make the difference between winning an opportunity and losing an opportunity.
1: Regardless of the sector, is it incumbent upon brand managers and marketers to get out into the field more often and have more of an outside-in mindset? The marketers aren't
0: getting out enough. Communications people aren't getting out enough people are starting to figure it out. Look, I come from the root, my root is in PR. So I always very much believed that you had to be out there listening and driving constituency discussions first and foremost, whereas advertising has the opportunity to be a little bit more circumspect and rely on things like creativity and have more longevity.
1: That sort of plays into my next question, Peter. And as we head into a break, how are your clients' demands changing in such a fluid business environment? What are the top concerns when it comes to bolstering the value of marketing communications? And are the chieftains starting to get a better appreciation of earned media when the returns on paid media are diminishing?
0: Yes, they are. The connective tissue has been organic social because in a lot of ways, organic social behaves like earned media. Yes, you control it more than you do earned media, but you're producing content in a way that you would through an earned media channel. That gives us the ability to illustrate to the chieftains how owning a narrative that you can structure in that way and be responsive really does have value. And then that gives them the taste of what could happen if you could use influencer media like the Wall Street Journal or CNN or NPR to drive an agenda, bringing together this notion of integration by saying, okay, agenda set through earned, use social for amplification and then use paid To spread and and create more impressions becomes a very attractive model to these leaders. The other part of it is one of the things we do is an annual survey that looks at the relationship between CEOs and CMOs. And our survey shows it over and over again, which is that the CMO is under increasing pressure and they're not particularly appreciated. A lot of that has to do with the trap that CMOs have built for themselves by becoming overly reliant on data. They focus on marketing data as opposed to looking at what the real business impact is that they can drive results on and framing their campaigns and their results in those contexts.
1: But is it also, Peter, that perhaps some chieftains, even if it's subconscious, set up their CMOs for failure? I relay the old Wall Street Journal anecdote where the CEO says to the CMO or the PR person, yeah, just call the Wall Street Journal. They'll run it. The point being that a lot of CEOs just don't get how media work. Is it more incumbent these days upon CMOs and marketers to do a better job of educating their CEOs and CFOs, for that matter, who are not necessarily so media and marketing savvy about just how the world works in a post-digital age?
0: We need to be more like strategy consultants in our behavior and basically be blunt in our assessment with a a degree of finesse. But I do think we need to be more blunt. We're trained in our profession to basically respond as opposed to strategize. And for years, we've talked about this idea of becoming more strategists. This is where I think AI gives us a leg up because we can start to see data in ways that we don't typically the other thing is it requires a personality change in how we go to the table and not being so fearful of loss because you are right. Everybody thinks it's easy to get media. Everybody thinks it's really easy to move the needle. I don't know if CEOs are intentionally setting up their CMOs, but I don't think they're necessarily working hard to keep them. That is a dynamic that has to change. And to some extent, that's going to rely on on CMOs becoming they should be data dependent, but they should be less about it when they talk to their CEOs and instead focus on a broader set of, of, of storytelling. Stay with us,
1: there's more to come. And now for a brief message regarding a Magazine. Marketers face a constant barrage of challenges from recruiting new talent to sustainability, to figuring out how generative artificial intelligence will affect ad creative. ANA Magazine tracks the latest developments and trends in B2C, B2B, brand purpose, and across the industry at large. The publication provides marketers with the real world intelligence they need to drive growth and boost their value throughout their organization. Find the publication at ana.net forward slash A&A Magazine. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Peter Prodromo, president of the marketing and PR agency Boathouse Group, about trends in marketing communications and agency client relations. Peter, you have been a proponent of the opportunities that AI presents for marketing communications. You've also called the current status of AI akin to the Wild West. So what are the initial steps marketers can take to make AI work for them and minimize risk when it comes to copyright and privacy laws? What are the ethical signposts ahead for generative AI?
0: First of all, most of the larger companies that I talked to are are spending a lot of time with their lawyers and their IT people and understanding the ethical implications and rolling it out much more slowly. The truth of the matter is everybody's experimenting with it on an individual level. What has to happen is we've got to take a step back. Organizations need to really assess what it is they want to get done with generative AI. Do they actually want to use it to produce content that they bring out to the public Or should they use it more sparingly and help themselves to better understand what a product looks like and what kinds of discussions are happening around that particular product? was talking to somebody in the college savings plan space for a large 529 plan. What he said to me was, we're using generative AI to aggregate content and research so we don't have to depend on using registered representatives and taking them off the line to educate marketers. To me, that's a terrific use of generative AI because you're getting access to large amounts of data very quickly. But then you're using human interaction to interpret that data and then bring it onto the marketplace through the traditional channels so that you're not going to get sued for copyright infringement or misuse of information. What needs to happen is, one, people should stop being scared. Two, take a step back and really articulate the use of generative AI and how you intend to put it to work for you. And three, work with the attorneys and other key individuals in the organization, key stakeholders, to publish a set of governing rules to make sure that you're using it in a way that isn't going to wind up with you being subject to a lawsuit or doing harm.
1: Peter, how do you think generative AI will change the customer experience and, for that matter, how brands communicate with their audiences?
0: Customers are getting wiser because they understand they're being spoken to or that the generative AI may not always be accurate. There's an opportunity hidden in there for organizations to say, you know, look, we're going to blend generative AI and human intelligence in a way that's going to bring us closer. The smart organizations are really going to talk about human intelligence and using generative AI to to be smarter and understand their customers better as opposed to replacing content that they're putting out there. The issue is I don't tend to have a lot of faith that organizations are always smart out of the gate. We kind of let things happen to us and then sort of react. Hopefully we'll be a little more contemplative than we were around other things.
1: What's your advice, Peter, for communications pros grappling with all the data available? Do they need to be more discriminating once and for all with the data? Is that part of the problem when marketers talk about being overwhelmed?
0: Absolutely. We've got to make it smaller. And what I mean by that is what are the four key insights from a business perspective or from a political perspective that are going to change things and that actually meet the client objective? About 10 years ago, I got a call from Kaiser Permanente. This was right after the Affordable Care Act went into effect, and they were looking to expand into other states, and they were trying to understand what the perception of them was in the marketplace so that they could better engage with their their members. They were using scission reports to assess massive amounts of data. The assignment was simple. They called us and said, how do we find the foremost important things our CEO ought to be looking at so that he can make key decisions about how to enter a marketplace. And that was when it dawned on me, we have an opportunity as marketing professionals to use technology to actually assess data and come up with those insights. We're all trained to just dump the data. And the AI that we're using, if you're not careful with it, it's large language model and it's generating so much stuff and you get so enamored of the screenshots and the charts that it's easy to fall into a trap. We've really refined our dashboards around three to four key insights. And it looks at things like sentiment, for example, but it also has a passion indicator. And to me, a passion indicator is massively valuable because I can then say to a CEO, people tend to make their decisions on a purchase, whether or not they like or dislike a company. And if I can say to them, they like you this much more than your competitor, how do we then exploit that or capitalize on that opportunity? It's incredibly powerful.
1: But from what I'm getting a vibe that marketers really have to be careful not to get seduced by all the data and they need to have much more of a point to list approach
0: we've been trained by our experiences with our clients that if we cannot throw massive amounts of data at them to prove our value, then they're not going to see our value. And they've kind of trapped us in that as well. The easy answer is to say, here's some more data. And instead, what we've got to say is, here's some smart data. Here's some smart data that shows where you have a weakness and we can fix it.
1: It's really getting out of that media by the pound mindset, You still hear it.
0: What's the thud factor? I'd like to tell you that all clients are now, you know, much more circumspect in their own approach, but they still like that thud factor. So we have to find the balance with them.
1: Peter, as we start to wrap up, what do successful marketing narratives look like these days and against the backdrop of growing pressure from upper management on marketers to monetize their activities? How can brand managers make braver choices moving forward and avoid blowback at the same time? No, that sounds like a bit of a Herculean task, but this is the onus on marketers these days.
0: We've got to not be afraid to have an honest conversation. It's got to be responsive. Too much marketing talks at people rather than with people. What narrative offers is the opportunity to have an authentic conversation as opposed to going out there and telling people why your widget's better. If we can train ourselves to be better conversationalists and use the data around narratives to support that, we're going to win.
1: And we'll have to leave it there. Peter Prodromo, President of the Marketing and PR Agency Boathouse Group. Thanks so much for joining me and providing me with your insights. Thank you, Matthew. For more information about Boathouse, go to www.boathouseinc.com. Be sure to tune in next time but I'll be joined by Francesco Lagutain, Chief Marketing Communications and Digital Officer at MT Bank, and Jackie Kolick. Executive Vice President and Chief Innovation Officer Peppercom to talk about how brands and agencies make PR and marketing work together more effectively. If you would like to recommend a guest or topic for a future episode, please email me at mschwartz at ANA.net and be sure to subscribe to Champions of Growth wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thanks for listening.
0: This has been a presentation of the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey.